0: Could we turn to Mark, chapter 5 of Mark? It's a real blessing to be here in the flesh and see people in the flesh with legs and not in a box. Heavenly Father, we come before you to seek your face and to hear from the throne of grace In these days. Oh, Father, it is intimidating to stand, not wanting to say anything that is intellectual or clever, but to simply see what your word would teach us in these difficult days. For we have nowhere else to go. You have the words of eternal life, and we seek your face and the anointing of your spirit to speak, but also to hear what you would say in these days, Lord. Oh, God Almighty, lead us, I pray, as we traverse the difficulties of what we're passing through. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mark chapter 5. I'm going to read from 1 to 21. And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes, And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith, Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down the steep place into the sea. There were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus to see him that was possessed with the devil and had the little agent sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. And when he was come into the ship, he that had been possessed with the devil prayed him that he might be with him. Howbeit Jesus suffered him not, but said unto him, Go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord hath done for thee and hath had compassion on thee. And he departed and began to publish in Decapolis how great things Jesus had done for him. And all men did marvel and when Jesus was passed over again by ship unto the other side, much people gathered unto him, and he was nigh unto the sea. May the Lord bless his word. This is a fascinating passage and well known, and we read it also in Matthew and Luke. And I just want to really make four points and see what the Lord would flesh out of that. Because we live in a day where actually it's a a highly pertinent passage, I believe, and I hope to show you why. The first point I want to make is there is no neutrality with Jesus. There is no neutrality with Jesus. Here we have an abutment of the son of God with Satan himself in the form of a legion. 6,000 constitutes a Roman legion, and some say 300 cavalry on top of that. It represents a vast incursion of demonic forces taking over that man. And it reminds us of Genesis 3.15 where we see the first point which actually draws that line between the power of God that is to be seen in the person of Jesus Christ and the power of Satan that will come against him and constitutes the battle each of us are involved in as we sit here right, right now and I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. Referring, I would subscribe to the coming of the Messiah, the bruising of the crucifixion, but the crushing of Satan's head. This tells us the outcome of the battle, but also it defines to us the conflict between good and evil, between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. There can be no neutrality. We find ourselves in one camp or the other. Jesus, satanic possession of a possessed man. We cannot be neutral. And we have to ask ourselves, whom have we chosen? And I know we sit here saying, well, we've chosen the Lord. But I want to show you, maybe it's not as, as binary as that, that sometimes there's gray areas and we live in an age where, and in a specific time where we need to examine ourselves and see how true that statement is on where we have placed our trust. It's interesting that here is a man possessed, and in a sense Satan has taken over the tongue of that man. Every organ, every fiber of that man is possessed by Satan himself. And he declares who God is. It's interesting how often we can't see God, but Satan can. And he's beholden, in a sense, to declare that he is Jesus, isn't he? He comes immediately, he confronts, he sees the Son of God before him. Satan cannot be silent in that situation. He uses the man. And it reminds us in Acts 19.15, a perfect example of how Satan sees the mark of the blood of Christ upon his people. Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? Satan recognizes where God is. Friends, does Satan recoil at the presence of Jesus in your life, in my life? Or does he see no opposition at all, a lukewarmness, a Laodicean... Life, if you will. We know, as we see here, that at some point every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And here is this possessed man. He doesn't, he doesn't come to him gradually. We read here that immediately they met him. Satan saw the Son of God coming to him, and there had to be a response immediately. And that affirmation of who Jesus is, if you like, is a prayer in itself. Satan knows, you know, he's speaking to God. He recognizes the authority in the person of Jesus. Whom have we chosen Friends, can we walk with a foot in the world, a foot out of the world, a foot with Jesus and a foot with Satan in our lives? We cannot. It just cannot be so. Can two walk together except they be agreed, Amos 3? You can't walk with Jesus if you're not in agreement with him. You can't do it. Friends, we need to decide. We cannot have an arm with Satan and an arm with Jesus. It just doesn't work. Uh, and uh, Brother John was just saying earlier. if we believe something, with, we need to come in prayer about it. We can't be hypocrites in these days. Jesus says, if you love me, John 14, you will keep my commandments. There is something intentional and something affirmatory which we have to partake in. We can't be casual with our faith in any shape or form in these days. Are we serving two masters here? The possessed man comes. Satan recognizes Jesus. There has to be an altercation. There has to be an outcome. There can't be some dialogue A mutual agreement and a parting of ways it it doesn't work like that there is a conflict oil water black white light dark these two opposites one has to go it's as simple as that and we know what we know what comes of this Satan wants out he needs to get out of that place he cannot be in the presence of Jesus but note he doesn't have the authority He asks for the authority of Jesus to leave that man. We see the authority. Why? Because there is power in the name of Jesus Christ. There is power in the name of Jesus. You know yourself, if you're talking, you can talk of Buddha and you can talk of Muhammad, and you can talk of any other agency and it, it will cause mild interest or something. But you put, you drop the nuclear name of Jesus into a conversation and it, it's seismic. It demands a response every time. And yet we've sucked it out to intellectual theology and philosophical ideas. The name of Jesus has currency, the blood of Jesus has currency. We don't talk of the blood much now because it's medieval, it's an anathema, it's an anachronism, it has no currency. Again, it's all about philosophical ideas. I'm sorry, friends, it's not. That sacrifice at Calvary was a defining moment that defines who we are. A one-time sacrifice for all. We proclaim the name of Jesus on the streets. We tell of the cleansing power of the blood of Christ without shame come what may we live in an age where we don't like blood it's an embarrassment to to be born it's an embarrassment to die all these things are unpalatable but this is a reality blood is there is no life the life is in the blood is it not So, the point I'm just making this introduction is there is no neutrality. We see this. Something has to give. And when we come to the cross of Christ, there is no neutrality in our response. It cannot be half hearted. Otherwise, there's only half a sacrifice, isn't there? There's no availing of the cross. There's no neutrality. There is a supremacy in Christ. And what a a privilege it is to stand on that, isn't it? Say that the grace afforded us through Christ overcomes all. And there is authority in the name of Jesus. What happens? Jesus commands the spirit to come out. He speaks the word. Jesus is the word. The word made flesh. I want to just briefly talk about the, effic- the efficacy of the word. The demon is cast out because of the word spoken. And what's the outcome of that? Verse 15. Well, after all the hullabaloo and the swine have drowned, the owners of the swine, the people, they come to Jesus. And imagine that sight. Here is a man who must have created havoc in that environment. Naked, psychotic, possessed, aggressive, not only to people but also to himself. The authorities have manacled him and shackled him. He's with a supernatural demonic strength. He's broken all of them and he's living in the city of the dead. Think of what that means when we think of of Exodus and Numbers and Pereticus. We talk about cleanliness, isn't it? The cleansing. There is such a strong emphasis in the old covenant law of being clean. And here is a man who is unclean. It's the absolute antithesis of what would have been acceptable. Not only that, but living amongst the tombs. You couldn't get any more polarized at that point. And here they come, having seen their swine, Drown. They come up and they see Jesus and the legion, the man who had the legion, sitting and clothed in his right mind. It would have been an incredible sight, wouldn't it? A man dialoguing with the Son of God. What was their response? They were afraid. They couldn't process this. And I'm going to suggest in a bit why. Friends, are you sitting in your right mind, dressed well in the presence of Christ? Are we sitting with a peaceable spirit, spirit, with our eyes focused upon him, hearing what he would have us hear, hear? Are we as that man is, conscious of what he's been redeemed from and liberated to are we in our right minds because when we encounter Christ there is a seismic change it's the not we have sanity to the world it's the complete opposite of course but Isaiah 26 3 says thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee When we come to Jesus, we have our right mind restored in line with the word of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17, that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. Consider the demoniac. All things have become new. He is a new creature in Christ. It is such a a, a polemic, it's such an extreme picture, isn't it? It's not just someone who's tangibly good in the world's eyes, who's deciding to become a Christian with perhaps a small C. This is a man who was unclean, rejected, demon-possessed, washed, utterly new in the presence of his Savior. How can he go back? How can he have reference to anything he came from? It's all new. It is all new. Ezekiel 11, I will put a new spirit within you. And I will take the stony heart out of thy flesh and will give him a heart of flesh. When we come to Christ, everything is made new, is it not? Everything is made new. That's why there is no neutrality. We can't go back. And the joy of this passage is that this is not a generic altar call. It's not just a a crusade, a rally of some type. Jesus has met a man in anguish, possessed, and released him to be with him. And that is how an encounter with Christ should be for all of us. He comes to each of us in our own bondages and sufferings and pain and releases us. If he does not, how can we affirm the change that is to be found in following him? It just becomes subscription to a theology. And that, friends, will not carry us in the days that are coming. We need to be like this man, so conscious as we move through what he has been saved from and what he has been saved to. This is a specific call, a man hanging upon a cross for each one individually. That is the the wonder of the cross. It is so personal. It is to be appropriated by each of us for ourselves. Just as when judgment comes, we will equally be on our own. Not a member of a church, not a member of a house group, but standing naked, either covered with the the perfection and the grace of our Lord or not. There is no neutrality. And it comes down to choice. What we see here in this passage is a picture of what Satan will do with a man unhindered. In contrast to what Jesus can do with a man unhindered. We stand at a door in Revelation 3:20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me but the converse of course is Genesis 4-7 where we have another where the Lord is talking to Cain and if thou doest not well sin lieth at the door that door can be opened to Satan what did that demoniac do to open that door to the influence of Satan we'll never know but in one sense, we're all in a similar situation. The man that wandereth out of the way of understanding shall remain in the congregation of the dead. We need to make a decision. He's not the only example, of course. Think of Mary Magdalene, released of 708 demons. And that epiphany and that relationship with the Lord is so strong, isn't it? When we think of John 20, when Jesus appears, the first revelation of his ascension is given to her, an ex-demoniac. What do they both have in common? What they have in common is having swung from one extreme to the other. But so often we see ourselves as not really at that extreme, so we have less experience of the salvational power of Jesus Christ in our lives. Now, I make these points not as just an academic point, because in a sense you know, I, I suspect we all understand what I'm saying. But what I want to focus on a little is the swine keepers. What about those men who were not interested if you came back and all your concern is the fact that your swine have drowned, is that not strange? When you see the person who was creating havoc, maybe for years, in his right mind, dressed, probably polite, talking well, peaceable. Your heart would not be surging in anticipation as to what he's going to do. But they're not interested. They're more interested in getting Jesus out, away from the coasts, the communities, the cities. In each of the Gospels, there's a very, very broad sense that Jesus has to go. He needs to get out of here. Not only that, but there's an urgency to get him out as well. In haste, depart, get out of here. Friends, why is that? Why would you want Jesus to leave? when he's just released a man from a legion of demons who have been tormenting everyone let alone his his, 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 the man himself it makes no sense at all or does it because a fool says in his heart there is no God now I believe scripture is highly applicable it's not something for academic for, well it is but it's a, I regard it as a manual to live by and in these days there's such a lesson here about preferring the swine as opposed to preferring the presence of Christ I believe they saw Jesus as just too costly to have around just too costly because of what he was offering they would prefer their swine back than the presence of the son of God they wanted him out it's more costly to have the presence of Jesus than a raging demoniac why is that when the Lord is offering everything and remember he had come from Capernaum 20 miles away through a storm to seek and save those who were lost in the land of the Gadaregians and if you know the Sea of Galilee Capernaum on one side you can see the Golan Heights on the other side and that's really the area that we're talking about they must have known who he was they must have known his ministry and yet they wanted him away back on the boat do not come back they loved their swine They wanted to go back. They rejected the Lord. They did everything to avoid seeing the divinity of Jesus in what he had done. They're not interested. They don't want to open that door. In the same way that we in ourselves can look at things in a very insular way, not seeking the bigger picture, but much more focused on detail, much more interested in single policy. Yet there were some within that group who were interested. When we think of the ones who, when we think of Nicodemus, for instance, he came at night. There were other people who say he's a good man, you know. But the majority wanted him out, not interested Jesus is too costly. When we think of the reasons why that may be, because they love their swine more than they love the Lord. People want what they had and they want it back. Is that not possibly the case of what we're living in now? As I drove into London, it's the first time I've been here since the last time I was here, actually. And the people are out, and people on the balconies, and it's sunny. A bit of a buzz in the air. You can't help but feel, it looks good. There's a nice sort of vibe. But actually, that's looking at things in a very one-dimensional way. And yet that's what people want. They want normality to get back. But we're passing through a time where perhaps that's not the right question to ask. The Son of God came to release a demoniac, but they didn't want anything new. They didn't want the profoundness of the Son of God in the presence. They wanted the swine back. I just want to consider that for a moment or two. Have you asked the Lord, Lord, just release me to get back to my life. Get me out of this situation. Remove all the trouble that is going on. Let's get back to normality. That's what we want. That's what we're aching for. And that's what's being sold It's not the first time people wanted Barabbas, not Jesus. It's exactly the same argument. Just just give us him back. We don't want the Lord. But he's the son of God. We don't want him. Why? Because there's something about the name of Jesus that is unsettling. We live in an age, and I'm just going to cite a few points again, not political, but I see this, I work in a Christian practice, and even there, there's a desire to get back to normal, and I struggle with that, because I don't think that's the right question to ask at all. What is God speaking about in this day and age, in this situation? What we're seeing now is a desire for the swine. A desire to worship the creation, not the creator. To get fixated about things which will pass away. I'm talking with a very broad brush here, you understand me. The first thing we're going to do is go to a pub. Is that the summation of our culture? Probably yes, is the answer. That's the definition of normality to go to an alehouse and drink, to worship the creation. To fuse human cells with animal cells, creating chimeras. That's where health ought to be going. Where two, 200,000 babies have been aborted this year. We want normality crying out on the sanctity of life and preserving the life in the NHS at all costs and yet in the next room murder is going on. You can't have it both ways. You can't look in one room without looking at the other. Lifting up science as the answer for all our societal ills. That's not the answer, friends. I'm not decrying science. I work in it. But what I'm saying, it's a matter of the heart. The swine keeper is allowed to grieve the death of his swine. But surely, for goodness sake, he should be looking at a man who has released a demoniac to a new life. Life is not necessarily black and white, but as Christians, we walk circumspectly in the world, do do we not? Rightly dividing truth from lies and using our God given brains to apportion things their priority in our lives. But number one is that man standing on the shore who came across in a boat, and his name is Jesus. Surely he should be the priority. But interestingly, the rights of the swine become more important. In fact, we hear, but all these pigs died, but a man was released and born again. And Jesus demonstrated his power. Holidays become the ultimate aspiration. Really? A two week, a week here and there, something temporal, craving, as one commentator put, the trifles of time rather than the realities of eternity. And as Christians, it's the realities of eternity which must color our perception of what we're going through, lining up everything with the word of God. Acclaiming the benefits of globalism and a unification of humanity across all spheres, where society will give way on its individual choice, on its personal preferences for security and safety and preservation. I think giving up liberty for security is a very dangerous precedent to set. When we're in Christ, we're free, and free indeed. Paul was more free in jail than any man outside. We do not think as the world thinks, but we align our thinking with the word of God and that man who's standing on the shore. We may not understand but we see the evidence of a man changed. What I see is flip-flopping all the time because it's man's ideas. Theological ideas become twisted to the mores of the day. Whatever a man will do, he will choose over surrender to God. And that's why He will choose Barabbas over Jesus every time. It is fascinating to see that these are very blunt and obvious, I I, I would argue. But actually, choosing your swine is, is more subtle. It can be just a little nuanced. The words can be right, the lifestyle can be right, but where's the heart? Remember when... Judas came to Jesus in Matthew 26. Hail, master, he said. He was right. He said the words. He was his master. He kissed him and then betrayed him. It can look fine on the outside. We may be actually doing everything which we think is right. But when push comes to shove, where is our heart? Where is the authority of Christ in our life? Because that authority must be strong. There must be a sure foundation when we get pushed. And what I have seen over the past year is so many in the body of Christ just flopping over, falling over, acquiescing to absolutely anything. Absolutely anything, without any critique, without any thought, without any discernment at all. Well, friends, we live in a free society even now. We live in a democracy. You can still basically do whatever you like. Are you not bringing your decisions before the Lord? Are you not using your brain? Are you not praying about it? Or are we going the way of the world? Are we preferring our swine? Consider just towards the end now. In fact, there's one quote in Judges I meant to say. This shows how desperate it is when I use this as a bookmark, but anyway <laughs> I read this a while ago, and I thought it was pertinent. Here are these people preferring their swine rather than the person of Jesus, and it's so like in judges ten fourteen. Will go and cry unto the gods which ye have chosen. Let them deliver you in the time of your tribulation. How true is that? Because I believe that at some point we will be left with a choice. It's Christ or everything else. You're not going to have Christ and everything else. It's going to be one or the other. And therefore we need to be in training now. And the demoniac is a perfect example of this pushes the example right to the edge. This is a fruitful encounter with Jesus Christ, is it not? And consider, if you were that man released free, no bondage, clean, rational thought, not plagued with satanic ideas, would you not want to be in the presence of Jesus? Would you not want to follow him onto that boat? And I've meditated for a while about standing on the shore and Jesus saying those words, go home to thy friends and tell them how great things the Lord had done for thee and have had compassion on thee. And I'd be thinking, just take me on the boat. You'd look back at the tombs and Gadara and all the mess you'd made and the Lord is telling you to go back there. This is a reality, is it not? that many times, in fact all times, each of us, as it says in that's the boundaries of our existence and the time of our existence are preordained, aren't they not? Each of us are fearfully and wonderfully made for our own situations, our own experiences. The demoniac's testimony is now his strength. Everything which was bad is now good for the Lord. There's nobody who can tell him he didn't meet with Christ because the evidence is there in front of him and for those of you I can personally say that too when I think of the man I was and I, am, I pray to God sanctifi- <laughs> sanctification continues but when I think of the sort of things I did 25 years ago it fills me with absolute horror that it was like another person and by God's grace he's cleansed me and taken me through so much I'm so grateful for that Praise the Lord. But God has allowed things to happen to us, to use them, to witness, to testify. There are, there are toolbox, if you like. And this man has the ultimate testimony. There's few who can top his testimony. And maybe that's why he was told to go home, because there's nobody who cannot agree with what has happened. He departed and began to publish in Decapolis. Well, that area was a rich area. Those ten towns, hence the term Decapolis, had Stoics in them, Greek philosophers, Epicureans, all sorts of people. Large trading area, very powerful eastern province of Rome. An uneducated ex comes to tell the good news of Jesus Christ, who himself was a carpenter from Galilee. It doesn't sound like a promising start, but when the Lord is with you, when the Lord has instructed you to go and tell the good news to the people he's put in front of you, he will provide the words and the anointing to do it. And and I say that because it says all men did marvel. All men marvelled at a demoniac telling of what the Lord had done for him. I found that so powerful and so exciting. Here was a man cleansed, surrendered, and obedient. Now, many times we may be in a job or we may be in an area or we may be in an activity or with people or neighbors where you think, Lord, just please deal with this, get me out of this, change something, and nothing happens. It could be illnesses, it could be unemployment, it could be anything, bereavement, anything at all. But just as the demoniac had his strength and his testimony, we have that too, and we shall grasp everything that the Lord has allowed to happen to us, given to us, not given to us, And say, Thank you, Lord, for this. I'm going to use this for your glory intentionally. Easier said than done many times, but the only person who you're fighting against is your own sense of pride and will. You're fighting against yourself. It was Spurgeon in in in, in writing on this passage, he said, The number one thing a Christian like the Demoniat should express is gratitude that he's been released, he's been made new in Christ. Gratitude, and often we're not, are we? We're not grateful for what the Lord has done. Secondly, there's a human need. There's always a need beyond ourselves, isn't there? It's to get our eyes elevated towards the body of Christ, to love our neighbours. And thirdly, and again, Peter Spurgeon. So I'll, I'll give him credit. It's always good to credit the heroes have old on, isn't it thirdly and perhaps the most important thing to promote the glory of Christ to promote the glory of Christ of what he has done the demoniac could only tell of he really couldn't tell of his past because there wasn't a lot to tell for us in, in Nigeria there's nothing to tell I just lay down on the mattress nothing happened I did nothing The glory belongs to him. It's all about him and telling of what he has done. It's wonderful. And interestingly, in just in closing, when Jesus passed over again, how interesting it was when he went back, much people gathered unto him. It's interesting, isn't it, that some hear the word of God and some do not, and it's a mystery we'll never understand completely. But praise God we listened, for those of you who know him. Praise God we listened, and we hold on to him. Friends, in closing, I just want to say, do not choose the swine in your life. Don't go back to what you thought is normal and hold on to all of those things, they will all pass away, good and bad. They're all going to pass away. Be like the demoniac where he left everything. There was nothing to leave in reality. And he went where the Lord commanded him to go and blessed him in that. I hate to almost end with a Bob Tillon song, but when you ain't got nothing You've got nothing at all. You're invincible. It's a great line, I have to say. And it's true. Because if our eyes are taken off the world, there's nothing to worry about. You can enjoy it. There's nothing. It's it's given by the Lord. Enjoy everything. But don't hold on to it. Don't hold on to the swine. Overt, covert. And that applies to the time in which we live now. Don't look for some sense of normal because there isn't a normal anymore. There never was. It's an illusion. There never was a normal. There's a trajectory to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. There will be peaks and troughs, plateaus, valleys. Recognize the the topography for what it is. That's all it is. Don't listen to the voices. There's too many out there. You note I've avoided certain words, key words here, because it really isn't. There's no point in debating any of it. Look upwards, for our redemption draws near. Me. Maranatha, Amen.